Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. I love uh, love that last song and just a declaration of our hearts. Yes, I will praise His name. And you know, we think about what Clark just shared in his prayer that we are able to come and worship without fear of, of persecution from being in this place, but yet we also recognize that in the midst of this world, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, all those who desire to live for Christ, to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we don't like to think about that a whole lot. And today, really, we don't like to think about uh, anything that causes us discomfort, um, that causes us pain. We live in a culture that is kind of uh, completely against that, that anything that would think, hey, that there are uh, times that we face difficulty or that uh, suffering, those kind of things are, are part of our lives. Uh, really, it's anti most everything that our culture might look at. You know, I was looking, we're going to be interrupting, we've been walking through First Peter and we're going to finish chapter 2. Uh, today, and we've been walking through this book verse by verse, and uh, we're going to jump into a series uh, that's just really going to point toward Christmas, and, and we're going to look at this interruption, right, of Christmas. This has been a year of interruption. We started out this year, and we said, you know what? Uh, we've got all these plans for 2020. We're going to do all these kind of things, and then all of a sudden, everything was interrupted, and we're going to look at the lives of some people uh, around this Christmas story and the interruption uh, that we see in their lives, and we're going to look at how there was an interruption in the midst of, of just this time of darkness, and we see that through uh, the birth of Christ, right, and we see through uh, His life, uh, His burial, His death, burial, and resurrection that we have hope, and we're going to see how God interrupted the midst of uh, this story, and so we're uh, looking forward to that. We're excited to be uh, just moving that direction. There's so much about the Christmas story that gives us hope. Uh, how many of you already decorated for Christmas? Lift, lift your hand, you've already done that, right? Some of us uh, decorated earlier this year than ever. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and they're like, hey, you know what? It's time. Let's decorate. And, and there's something about that, right? Because we recognize uh, just the hope that Christmas brought. We recognize those kind of things. And so I was thinking about that. We've started looking. Many of you may have went uh, shopping either online or in stores, and you began to look for the perfect gift. And I was looking online. I was looking at just the top gifts, and it amazed me how much of the things that were advertised as being just the right gift, how many of those things were really about our comfort and our uh, ease? I, I have a gift that I got last year. This thing's incredible. It, it has an adapter for my car. It has an adapter for the house. You hang this thing on there, and like this morning, like at 5 a.m., I'm working on some of these sermon slides. I'm getting a massage, like at the same time. I'm driving down the road. This thing's for real, too. Like, it'll make you move like that. So if you see me driving down the road, you know, like I'm getting a massage. You can, you can use this thing all over. It's like an incredible gift. I was looking. They have, I don't know what it does, but I saw this morning that there's a massage gun. I don't know if that's like, hey, Richard, you look kind of sore. Like, <laughs> I just shoot you from the stomach. I want it, right? Because, I mean, I don't know exactly what that thing does, but 
but it sounds pretty awesome, right? And there's a lot of people that need it. You know, when we, we think about those kind of things, there's a blanket. Like, I saw a blanket. I picked up a blanket in Walmart uh, not too long ago, and, and like, I had to use my massage thing because you pull a muscle. It's like a weighted blanket. You can't even get up. That, that's what happens. You put that on you, and you're down for the count, right? You've got to be working out just to use the thing. But there's all these kind of things that uh, somehow promise to make our life easier. And really, when you look at the gifts, you're going to see those kind of things. And really, our culture is all about a life of ease, a life of comfort. I read a, an article that had been posted in the New York Times, and it was talking about this obsession that our culture has with happiness. And this guy was saying that, that over a 1,000 books were written in a three-month period that promised to bring happiness. And he goes on in this article just to say that in a lot of our life, we look back and we think about these moments of happiness, but really the thing that forms us or the things that shape us is through our suffering. We've been looking at First Peter and walking through chapter 2, and there's kind of a hinge verse in the midst of that chapter. And in, and in, in verse number 12, he gives us this picture and he says that we're to keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among those that don't know Jesus, uh, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, that they may, because of your good deeds, I want you to think about this, that they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so there's this command, that there's this, this call that we have, that we're to live our lives in a way that remembers that the world is watching. And so as we walk through this life, we're to live our life in a way that remembers the world is watching. Last week, uh, we had a football, and we said that, that, that the world is looking. And as we gather as the church, the world is looking. And then when they come to watch a football game, when, they're, when we're doing those kind of things, they, they see this thing that takes place, right, this huddle that takes place. But they're not really interested in the huddle. They're interested in seeing if what takes place in the huddle makes a difference in, in the game. And, and the world is looking at us as the church and desires to see if what's taking place as we gather as a body of believers, if, if what happens in the huddle makes a difference in the midst of life. And Peter gave this example last week. It's like he gives them this, uh, this, this call to live uh, in, a, in a way that remembers the world's watching. He says that we're uh, doing that the will of God, right? It says that we are to submit, and we looked last week at this call to submitting uh, to those that were uh, in uh, governing authorities, that we're to, uh, to, to have this picture of we would honor all people, that we'd love the brotherhood, that we fear God, that we honor the king. He gives this example, right? He says, hey, live like the world's watching. And then he says, here's an example as you submit to those that are in authority. And we, we look at this call and we said, hey, there's a limit to that, right, that we are to submit to those that are in authority so long as that our, our ultimate authority is God and if something that someone in authority is asking us to do is against what God is asking us to do, that there's times that we in civil disobedience say, you know what, we're, uh, we have uh, no king uh, but Jesus, right, and we're going to, Submit to him above all other authorities. We, we, we don't really like the thought about uh, authority. We don't like the idea of that by nature. We're, we're rebels. And the truth be known, if you're a young person in here, nobody's waking up this morning going, you know what, I hope somebody else is in charge of me. Like one other person can tell me what to do today, right? That's not on the list of any 
of you young people. You're not like waking up going, I just hope there's one more person, right? And we think about people with authority in our life. We think about maybe when we're younger and we say, you know what, our parents, and we, we may uh, have things that we'd say about them, say, you know, my dad did this, my mom did this. Then we maybe have teachers and we say, well, you know what, I don't necessarily like this teacher and I don't like the way this happens or that happens. And then we get a little older and we say, well, uh, you know, my boss is this way or that way. And we, we have those uh, kind of things, and we think about the government, and we can find lots of things to say about those in authority, but could it be that what we say about them reflects more about us than it does about them? And, and Peter says, here's an example, the way that you interact in that manner, and then he says, here's another example of how you live in a culture in a way that reflects the image of Christ, in a way that brings God glory. And he uses this example that many of us would have a real hard time relating to. A lot of times when we look at this passage, people relate it to uh, employers and the way that they uh, engage with their boss. We see this this call in verse 18 uh, in this relationship between a slave and his master, right? And we're going to see Peter engage in in this this example. And, And the reality would have been that many converts would have been slaves in this time. It was a different uh, kind of culture. It wasn't the, the type of, of uh, picture that we might have of American slavery, of this racial type division. And we would see that the slaves in this time, that they would have become slaves uh, through uh, maybe takeover of uh, this area. So they would have seen um, just this picture of them being captured in wars or of being kidnapped or even being born uh, in uh, a slave household. So these people could have been born, and if they were born of slaves, they became the property of those that owned the slaves. So there's this picture uh, of this, um, this slavery and master relationship. And it's not, uh, and, and don't misunderstand when we read passages like this, this is not God's word um, condoning slavery. But we see these New Testament authors, they're writing and they're speaking in to the situations that their people are living in, that they're, they're speaking into the, the way that they interact. And as they do that, we see that there's this picture of of Peter writing and saying, hey, here's how you interact with your master as a slave. And, and this is a, and we don't like the thought of even the authority that happens in our life. There's many times that we struggle in, a, in an employer-employee relationship. But here Peter's writing and he says, here are these slaves, these people with no legal rights that have come to faith in Christ. And he's focusing on their godly response even to mistreatment. And it's estimated that between like a third to half of the population were slaves. So this is a huge picture. And in this passage, in beginning in verse 18, we're going to pick up, and Peter writes this, and he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters. And he says, and the translation could say slaves. It would be the appropriate translation. But he says, be submissive to your masters. Now, Kyle Eidelman says that biblical submission is sitting down on the inside and the outside. So there's this picture of biblical submission of not only our actions, but our attitude in the way that we submit. And Peter says, be submissive to your masters with all respect, is what this translation reads. But the, the word that's used there in the Greek is the same word uh, that's translated fear. And when we see this, it would be an appropriate translation to say, be submissive to your masters with all fear. And anytime Peter is writing and he uses the word fear, it's always referring to the fear of God. Fact is, in chapter 3, there's a couple of occasions that he uh, is very, very clear uh, and, and speaks against fearing people. And anytime 
we see Peter speak of fearing. He's talking about fearing God. And what he's saying is the reason that these uh, slaves are to submit to their masters is not because of uh, them having a good master. We're going to see that. But it's because of their uh, surrender and submission to their great God. And he says the reason they're to submit to their masters is because of their relationship with the Lord. And he goes on, and, and this is stuff that we don't like, right? Because he says not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. It's pretty easy to say, you know what, okay, I've got a good boss, and many of you have worked for different people, and you say, you know what, I enjoyed working for that person, and so because that person was good to me, I'll uh, be good to them, I'll, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing, but maybe you've got a jerk for a boss, maybe you've got somebody that is there, and you say, you know what, I'll be nice to you in front of your face, like, oh, it's so good to see you, but then you're like, I, I, that guy's a jerk, right, and you see that kind of response, and maybe we measure our response on how good someone is, but he says, that's not how, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we're to do. He says it doesn't matter whether they're good and gentle or whether they're unreasonable, that we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ. So if we apply this to those of you that are employees and employers, if you say, you know what, hey, no matter what that situation is, I recognize that in the midst of life that I'm called to work as if I'm working for the Lord, that I'm that, that God is watching, that He is uh, seeing everything that is going on, that the reality is that God's ultimate reward is delayed. That the things that we do in this life, we see that God rewards in heaven the work that's done for him here. And he says to these slaves, he says, I want you to live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ so that those that are around you, those that are slaves with you, and even the masters that are over you, that they would see your life and your response and the way that you engage and what happens in your life. And they would see that and it would be so different, it would be so winsome that it would point to the gospel of Jesus Christ and it would declare His goodness, right? That, that Jesus in their life would be so different. Colossians chapter 3 says that we're to work heartily in everything, right? Whatever you do, he says, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing Verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of an inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So wherever we find ourselves, so wherever you find yourself, if you're a, a child and, and you have, uh, and you're at home and your parents are the authority that's over your life, right? And we see uh, that even in, in later life that we're to honor our parents, right? We see that we're to obey our parents and then we're to honor them. We see this kind of relationship, no matter what that situation is, no matter whether you think your parents uh, have any clue as to what's going on, right? The older you get, the smarter your parents will get. It's weird how that works, but it's just how it is. And so, but maybe you're, you're an employee, so you've got a boss that's over you. Maybe you're thinking about uh, the, the way that you're engaging. So whether it's school, maybe it's the teachers that you're there. It says the way that you live your life there as a follower of Jesus Christ should be so different that the world looks and says that is different and what causes them to be that way first peter three fifteen says that we are to always be ready right to give a an answer or an apology a reason for the hope that is within us and so when we look at the life of a believer that that we ought to see workplaces say you know what i want to make sure that i hire christians because they're going to work and live in a way that is different from this world i heard a missionary was talking and he said hey he said, when in our culture, when people came to Christ, he said it was easy, and it actually became an issue for them because uh, it was illegal, and it was something that it was a very heavy persecution, and they said that they would watch these people in the way that they worked, and when they saw people that were different, they would follow them, and they would figure out 
the group that they were in. And I wonder for us that as followers of Jesus Christ, those that profess to be Christians, if in workplaces, whether it be students that are working in fast food restaurants or anywhere that we find ourselves, would people look at us and say, you know what, I know that there's something different about them. That must be a believer. And that should be the characteristic of our lives. The hardest working. Verse 19, he says, for this finds favor. And we want favor, right? He says, for this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, for this finds favor with God. Now, we live in a culture that says, hey, if something's going wrong in your life, the natural question is to say, why, God, what are, what are you, where is God at? Is God not seeing that I'm going through all this? I mean, I've been going to church. I've been, how many, there's many of us that may have thought at some point in our life, they're saying, hey, for the first time in my life, I'm trying to do everything right, and it feels like everything is going wrong. It, it feels like things are, are not going well. Where, where is God at in the midst of this? And somehow we think God is not seeing or he is not watching, but the reality is that he is leaning in, right? When we have a motive and we say in the midst of this broken world, in the midst of suffering, I'm going to live my life different for the glory of God. And there's a conscience toward him that says, I'm going to work through the midst of this with patience. Scripture says that it finds favor with God. In verse 21, he says something that we uh, we read, and it almost takes us back, really. He says, for you are called. He says, here's this unpopular calling. And we don't, we don't like to think of our lives being filled with anything but good. In fact, is there's a whole brand of Christianity that has been uh, propagated out there that says, hey, when you walk through difficult times, he said, there's a couple of ways, maybe two or three ways that you can look at it. And there's a brand of Christianity out there that would say, hey, if you're walking through a difficult time, well, you, if you just have enough faith, then you're not going to face any of these kind of things. And you're never going to walk through uh, any trouble, and you're not going to go through any of those things. But Jesus said, uh, if you're his followers, he said, in this world, he said, you're going to have trouble. He's promised that we're going to walk through those things. But he says that you can have courage in the midst of that, because in the midst of a world that is filled with brokenness and filled with trouble and filled with sorrow and filled with suffering, that we have an overcoming Savior. There's another group that might say, you know what, we're, we're going to walk through this, but we're, we're, we understand that this world is broken. And so in the midst of that, we're going to deal with difficult things. And then one day, uh, we're going to be uh, past this life. And there's, these things are going to be behind us. And we're going to be in the perfect peace and presence of Jesus. But I want to tell you that the cross gives us a better picture. And we have a Christianity that's been propagated in our culture that says, you know what, everything is about our comfort. Everything is about us and that nothing should be faced and nothing should go that way. But there's a theology of the cross that says in the midst of suffering and in the midst of pain and in the midst of difficulty that God is not wasting any of it, that there's a purpose in the midst of that. And as followers of Jesus Christ, when we walk through difficult times and we walk through suffering, that there is purpose in the midst of it. And in this passage, Peter says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. This is an unpopular call. This is an unpopular thing that we read, that we would suffer for the cross of Christ, even as he has suffered for us. We, 
Everything about that is counterculture. And anywhere you read in Scripture where we see this call that we are to live lives of selfless service, that we are to, uh, to submit to authority, that we are called to go the extra mile, that we are to be people that turn the other cheek, that forgive others, that have spitefully used you to serve people, even unhappy people, even difficult people, even people that are hard in our lives, even people that we look at and that have mistreated us. He says, listen, anytime we see, listen, I don't want you to be selfish, that we have a call to deny ourselves. Anytime you see those kind of things, the writers uh, that are inspired by the Spirit of God as they write God's infallible, inerrant word, always point to the sufferings of Christ. They say, here is how I want you to live. Here is how you live in this life. But this is what Jesus has done for you. This is where and this is why. And there's this expectation for any of us that follow Jesus that we're going to be pursuing a holy life in Christ Jesus. There's this expectation that we will live a pure and righteous life. And there's another expectation that goes along with that that says if you desire to live that kind of life that you're going to face persecution. He said all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. And if we desire to live our life, it's going to be radically different from this world. And it is going to result in us being rejected by this world see our, our flesh screams comfort our flesh screams hey I, I want all these things I'm going to have my massage I'm going to do all these things right our flesh desires all those kind of things possessions pleasure the long list of everything that we see but Jesus calls his followers to something different Jesus calls his followers to sacrificial service the only call by the way that Christ gives to men is to live holy and godly and sacrificial lives if you are a leader in this room we, we see this command or this uh, command for uh, those that are, are slaves to, to be a certain way but we see also in, in scripture the command for those who are bosses and that they would live their life different that they would be uh, serve there, there's really only one kind of leader right in scripture and that's a sacrificial servant leader that's that's the only kind of leadership that you see uh, commended in the Scripture. And, and, and if you're a, a supervisor in this room, if you're a boss, if you have those that are under your authority, if you're a parent, they ought to look at your life and they ought to say, you know what, there's a difference in my family's life. There's a difference in my boss's life. There's a difference in all those things. And it's evident that they're followers of Jesus Christ because they're so radically different from this world. And he says, listen, this is the call for anyone who is in Christ Jesus this sacrificial service, this, this command and this call to live holy and sacrificial lives, to love God, to love people. That's what we say in our church, that we love God and we love people and we put love in action. When we love God and we love Him in a way that causes us to pursue holy, godly lives, that in reverent fear of our great God, we have this love and this recognition of the suffering that He took in our place and we live godly lives. We love people so much. It's an overflow of that love for Him that we love people so much that we sacrificially serve them, that we sacrificially give of our lives, right? That's what Scripture requires. Love in action always requires sacrifice. James one twenty seven. he said, pure and undefiled religion is this. He said, you want to know what pure and undefiled religion is? You remember we were walking through James. He said, it's very easy. He said, it's very simple. He says, pure and undefiled religion is this. He said, it, it is visiting orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself unspotted from the world that we might live holy lives, that we might live sacrificial lives. This world is not sacrificially loving widows and orphans. This world is not giving of them 
ourselves. And he says, for you've been called for this purpose, verse 21. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. Christ is our example. That's the first thing we see in that verse. And this word example, it's this picture of having your ABCs maybe laying on a desk and tracing right over that. It's this exact copy, this exact uh, picture where every detail is to be re- reproduced. And he says, Christ has given us this kind of example that we're to look like him. And he says, this is this example that we would follow. And here's this example of a, a guide leading someone on a rocky terrain and that terrain being so bad that the only way that they can follow is to put their foot just in the same print that they to take every step with them. Can I remind you that we are never, we never look as much like Jesus as we do when we are suffering injustly. We may never point folks to Jesus in as great a way as when we are suffering. Christ died not only as our example, but as our substitute. Love in that verse, he says, as Christ died, Christ also suffered for you. This word for is huge, right? It proclaims the most wonderful truth in uh Man, that we know, right? It's the most wonderful truth that Christ died for me. But not just simply for me, in my place. Christ died a substitutionary death in my place as my substitute. And when we recognize that we are the cause of His suffering, it changes our perspective and we willingly suffer for the cause of Christ. Let's look at verse 22. He says, For he who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And when we suffer, it's very easy for our mouth to go very quickly, especially when we're suffering unjustly. He says he spoke no deceit. He spoke no insults. Verse 23, he said, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We are walking through suffering and difficult time. We, we know that we have a God who is to make all things right. right? We entrust ourselves to the one who judges righteously. And we know that in the midst of this life, in the midst of this world, we're going to face difficult times. We're going to face suffering. But we're to live and we're to see that differently from this world. And I want to remind you, the world is watching. Verse 24, he says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Jesus suffered for us. His death took my death's place, right? He died in my stead. He had lived a sinless and perfect life and did not deserve to suffer. The sins that he bore were not his own, but they were mine and they were yours. Jesus suffered the greatest suffering. All the guilt, all the punishment. He took on and bore all of our sin. And he died for it all. Peter not only emphasizes this substitutionary death, but he says that that there's this something that is accomplished out of that, that we might die to sin and that we might live to righteousness. That Christ's atoning death, that it accomplished on our behalf, paid the penalty for our sin, but it accomplished something in us that would cause us to live lives radically different from this world, that we would live a new kind of life, 
with freedom, with purpose in the midst of our pain that would look and say, you know what, I can remember in my life as, as I began uh, to, to walk with Christ, as I began to follow Christ, as I began to, to, to learn about who Jesus is, there was a dear lady that was in my life, and as my mother-in-law battled cancer, uh, any, any person in, I would hear, they would say, you know what, why me, why me, why are these things happening? But she had a different perspective, and she said, you know what, why not me? She had a different perspective in the midst of suffering, and it was radical, and it was different, but it was engaging. It was something that as I look, and I said, you know what, that's what it looks like to follow Christ. Somebody sent me a, a video in between service that had watched our early service, and, and I want to just take a moment and uh, let you watch it. It's just a young lady, a teenage girl, um, and just her perspective just on her pain and on the suffering uh, in her life. Take just a second, and we'll... killed on impact and I um, lost my leg and had a bunch of um, internal injuries and was life flighted to Grady Hospital where I um, they saved my life I don't remember any part of the accident um, I didn't know anything that happened and I just I remember so well my mom looking me in the face um, with tears like rolling down her eyes and telling me that my my I'd lost my leg and I asked where's dad um, and she said he's in heaven and that that moment um, really is one of the biggest biggest places I've ever seen um, the power of Christ in my own life because there's just no way I think I could have had peace in that moment other than um, the peace of Christ that was overwhelming and I don't I don't know if I'll ever understand it or comprehend it um, just that moment but I looked at her and I said I'm so glad he's with his dad um, and his mom and I, I said we were greatest four and we're gonna be greatest three. lot of fears in those days um, I, I was terrified of being different and I was terrified of how people were gonna look at me without my leg and I was terrified of um, living uh, without my dad and he just he spoke so much truth into my life and I mean the thing that I I realized the most in those days is that there's not a single person that could have given me what I needed. Um, but there was a lot of people who could call on Jesus and um, use his words to strengthen my heart and encourage me. I am, I'm really thankful that I lost my leg because it's, it's just freed me up so much. Like the freedom I found in have kind of having to um, be confident in who I am in Jesus has, is the greatest gift. I mean, seriously. And I, I think um, you, you go through tragedy and there's a, there, I mean, please don't get me wrong. There has been so much sorrow 
in the past 11 months, but there has been a way, I mean, so much joy. I can't even, and seeing the redemption of Christ um, just in my physical body has blessed me every single day. I mean, it doesn't, you don't even have to wake up in a hospital room without your leg and without your dad to say, I don't want to lose anymore. I don't want to live my life, I mean, in chains um, of anxiety and fear and just everything. When I have a God who's so much bigger than all of that and who loves me so much and who is closer than the air I breathe, there's so much freedom and so much victory in Jesus that I don't think I ever would have um, appreciated or acknowledged if if my life had looked any different or I had just, um, nothing had ever happened. And that is just the greatest gift I've ever been given. And just realizing that the way I think about myself and the way I live my life doesn't have to align with what the world tells me. Um, because if I, <laughs> if I did that, that would be a hard life. People, I mean, I would live my whole life defeated. But just waking up and saying, realizing that the world is broken, but I don't have to fight any battle because um, he's already won them all. I can open my hands and say, I cannot do it. I, I cannot fight this. I can't, I can't fix this. I can't do anything. But Jesus, you can change everything. Um, would you do it in my life? That has just changed everything. the world's perspective on suffering is very different from what we see in the cross. And the cross reminds us that even in darkness and even difficulty that God is working. And it was through the cross, right, that the greatest, right, the greatest thing that ever took place, right, the, the gift that we have of our salvation it gives us freedom gives us salvation. It gives us forgiveness. It gives us freedom from the bondage of sin, from the, from the bondage of the things of this world, and He gives us freedom to find purpose in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain. You know, when you see this young lady, and I can't imagine, just as a teenage girl, and wondering about appearance, and wondering about all these other things, and she says, you know what? I'm going to entrust it all of my life into a God who is faithful. I'm going to trust in she lost her father. There was a faith that she had seen in him that says, you know what, I know that what's going on in these moments, that they are not the end. You know, when it's, it's a wrestling, it's a strain for this world, right? The problem of suffering and the, the brokenness of this world. But man, when God's people live different. There's a world that's watching. There's a world, as I watched my mother-in-law battle cancer, there was, a, there was a young Christian that was watching that said, you know what, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to love Jesus. A faith that says, you know what, I know that my God is able. 
I can remember when Don Capafort was battling cancer, and we looked last week at, at just a little bit in the book of Daniel as we, as we talked about submission to government. We talked about these three Hebrew children. They said, you know what? Uh, we know that our God is able, but even uh, if he doesn't, he, he, he can deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to the things of this world. And we as followers of Jesus Christ are to embrace the midst of this broken world. I can promise that every one of us in this room will face suffering. We look in a broken world where everyone faces suffering. But as we walk as followers of Jesus Christ in this life, and we say, you know what, there's purpose in the midst of our pain. There's purpose in the midst of our suffering. And we have an overcoming Savior. And we have a God who is working, who has freed us uh, from living according to the ways of this world. And Christ's example is our example. His response, right, to suffering injustice, the wounds that, that Christ uh, took in his flesh were the very wounds that gave us salvation, right? It was, uh, it was our sin and our iniquity that caused his wounds, but his wounds caused by our iniquity were the very things that from those wounds gave us salvation. And as we live in this life, the very wounds and the things that others may uh, do against us, the response to suffering unjustly, the wounds that we experience from the, the injustice of those around us. God can use those hurts. He can use those things. And our response can point them to an overcoming Savior. And the world is watching. The world is watching. Your children are watching. Your grandchildren are watching. And our loudest witness in the midst of a broken world, I believe, is in our sufferings. It's joy in the midst of that. And there's something the world can't understand about that young girl. I can assure you there are those around her that are saying, man, that is radically different. Where is she finding that strength? Where is she finding that hope? And there's only one answer, right? First Peter 3 says that, that we're to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us, right? We, we always are ready. I, I love uh, just the thought of that verse in light of this context. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to make a offense to everyone who asks you, Many people are asking you, and I see your life, and it's different. I see your faith, and it's different. To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and with reverence. There's a joy that is only in Christ that's not affected by the things of this world, not affected by the wrongs of others. A joy that offers grace instead of revenge. I shared back in the summer when Reggie Holland was killed in a car accident, and I got a phone call from his wife on the day of Reggie's service, and she said, I want you to do something for me. And she said that someone had pulled out in front of him and caused an accident that had taken his life, and she said, I need that person to know that we forgive him, that we're not mad at him, that we love him. There was a message of grace right in the midst of just the most darkest and difficult and I want you to know it's radically different from the things of this world. But there is a world that is watching. It's a joy that offers grace instead of revenge. A joy that says, I'm entrusting. And I think about Stephen as he was fixing to be stoned, right? He was able to see a vision. And Scripture says that he looked up and, and there was Jesus, right? We always see him seated at the right hand of the Father. But here he was in the midst of one of his children suffering and persecution and fixing to be stoned. He said that Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father, Jesus, and He is leaning in in those moments. 
when we see Saul, we see Paul that we, so much is written, he's holding the garments right of those. And we, we see a God who not only loves those who are being persecuted, but loves the ones that are persecuted. And he uses all the things, right? Scripture says we know that all things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those that love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. And that in the midst of this world, that doesn't mean that we never face difficult times. It doesn't mean that we never walk through suffering. It doesn't mean that we never walk through any of those times. But we have a God who is working in the midst of all that. And He's working to conform us to the image of His Son. He's working to shape us and to make us look more like Christ. And He's working use even our suffering to point people to Him. F.B. Meyer said, The child of God is often called to suffer because there is nothing that will convince onlookers of the reality and power of true religion as suffering will do when it is born with Christian fortitude. Verse 25, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. He finishes this chapter and he says, You're called to live different. He said, but don't forget where you came from. He said, don't forget where I've brought you from. He said, you used to be continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. We all have been like sheep going astray, attracted uh, to the things of this world, to the promises of this seemingly green grass of this world that promises all kind of things but doesn't deliver. And he says, you know what? You have repented and turned, and you have turned back to God. You've returned to a loving shepherd, to a shepherd who is the guardian, the bishop, the overseer of your soul. We have a promise in this life, not of no suffering. We are not promised as followers of Jesus Christ to be delivered from suffering. But I want you to know that it's into His presence one day that we will be delivered through suffering. And as we do, he promises to never lead us, to never forsake us. He said there's nothing that could separate us from His love. And this isn't a popular message or even a fun one to preach, but it is the reality that we live in, in the midst of a broken world. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. If we were to go around this room, it would be overwhelming if we were to allow folks to share of the difficulties and troubles and trials and all the things that we're facing. And our message is not that you can come to Christ and be delivered from those things. Our message is that through the gospel and through Christ, you can be delivered through those things and that there's a day coming. Right? He said, you've been born again. He started this letter. Can you imagine those slaves as they heard some of this? He said, you've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is in the resurrection that we have hope. And it is in the resurrection that this young girl says, you know what? We have an overcoming Savior. And the, the trials and the difficulties of this life are not the end. We have a hope that is way beyond these moments. And we fix our hope on Him. I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to worship the Lord together. We cannot do this in our own strength. It is only in Christ that we are able to walk in this. It's only in Christ that we, it's only in Christ that we can declare His goodness in the midst of suffering. It is only in Christ that we can praise His name no matter what we're facing, no matter what things are going on in our lives. And he says in that last thing that we have been, 
we're in the care of our shepherd. And I just want to ask you as we worship the Lord together this morning, is he your shepherd? Are you in his pasture? Have you ever uh, turned away from the ways and, and, and just been wandering like sheep astray in our own ways and turned to him, the great shepherd? Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he's in charge and not us, right? There's this picture of surrender that we, uh, that we willingly turn from our sin. Jesus said, unless you repent, you would all likewise perish, right? This picture of repentance, just a turning from our ways, turning from our sin and a turning to him in surrender. If you've never trusted Jesus, we pray that the Spirit of God might draw you in this morning, that he might speak to your heart and you might respond in repentance and surrender to the King of kings and Lord of lords, not with promises that you will never face suffering, not a promise that, uh, that, that everything is going to be perfect in this life, but with a hope that is way beyond this life and a promise that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, that you have a God who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who is working all things together for good for those that love Him and those that are called according to His purpose. I'll never forget, I was preaching a funeral of a dear lady in our church who had battled cancer and I opened up her Bible to 2 Corinthians 4. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Scripture says that as we know that this momentary light affliction. Man, I think about the things that some of you may be facing, some of the things that you may have faced this year. So this momentary light affliction. So that's what it's going to seem like in comparison to eternity. Even the worst things that we face here, he said this momentary light affliction is working a far exceeding weight of glory in the eternal. And he said, therefore, we don't lose heart. She wrote in her Bible, she said, all those things I'm facing, she said, they're small potatoes compared to all that God has for me. And then I declare that this morning, that all the things that you're facing, all the things that we face in this world, in light of all that God has for us, in light of the glory that awaits us, they're going to seem momentary in light. They're going to seem like small potatoes. Therefore, I pray that we will not lose heart Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but you can be of good courage. He said, I've overcome this mess. I want you to know he overcame it through suffering. There's a resurrection. Jesus has conquered the grave through his resurrection, and there's a resurrection coming for us, no matter what we face if we are in Christ Jesus. And all is going to be made new. All is going to be made perfect. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your goodness. Lord, we thank you that there are so many things, Lord, that we experience tremendous joy in. But, Lord, I am reminded that suffering is a reality in this life, Lord. That we face difficulty and we face trouble. But, Lord, I am so thankful, Lord, that you've overcome this world. Lord, I pray you give us hope. Lord, I pray for any that are just walking through the midst of difficult times, Lord, this holiday season, Lord, just this, this crazy time that we walk in. Lord, I pray you'll meet them exactly where they're at. Lord, that you'll give them strength for these moments. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we declare our dependence on you. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. Lord, it is only in your strength, Lord. Lord, we declare that this morning, Lord, and we, Lord, we confess our great need for you. Lord, I pray you'll have your will and way in each life as we worship you and as we finish this service. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name.